text for the sermon this morning comes from Philippians 2, 25 through 30. Philippians 2, 25 through 30. This is the word of our living God. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I send them the more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. As we've been working through the book of Philippians, as I've had opportunity to preach on the book of Philippians here, we've seen that Paul time and time again expresses the importance of serving Christ in this life. We've especially seen that in Philippians 2, Paul gives very practical instruction regarding how we are to live in light of what Christ our Savior has done. Calls us to let our conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Calls us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to have the same mind which was in Christ Jesus. We are to have the same love. We are to be like-minded. We are to live in one accord. The last time I preached from Philippians, we considered Paul's high esteem for Timothy. He said memorably in Philippians 2, verse 21, For all seek their own things, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But Paul said this was not true of Timothy. Timothy was a man who who earnestly sought the things of Christ. He had a proven character. He was a man you could rely upon to stand by you. He would not run at the first sign of attack or trial. He was faithful to the word of God. As we looked at that text, we know that we can seek the things of Christ in three ways. By being like-minded, by, by sincerely caring for the state of others, and by serving in the gospel. And this morning in our text from Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30, we see that Paul also commends Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a man who counted the cost of serving Christ and was willing to sacrifice even his own life for the sake of the gospel. We all like stories of heroism, courage, and faithfulness. We are inspired by the stories of of men and women who have been faithful to the Lord Jesus throughout history. We can be greatly encouraged reading the accounts of, of John Calvin, of John Payton, 
of, of Martin Luther. We can be encouraged in our walk as we read the stories of those men. And I believe Paul sets forth Epaphroditus and Timothy here in part to encourage the Philippians to serve Christ. Normally, we would see such personal statements in the letters of Paul reserved till the end of the letter. But Paul uses these pastoral commendations of Timothy and Epaphroditus not simply as a church administrator, not simply to tell the Philippian church that this is what he's planning to do, but to also encourage them. That the Philippians, as they put on the mind of Christ, would see that Timothy and Epaphroditus had done so. So this morning I want us to consider Philippians 2, verses 25-30, through with a call to serve Christ. And there are three ways that we are called to serve Him. First, we are to serve Him as children of God. Second, we serve Him as laborers. And third, we serve Him as soldiers. This week at RPTS during uh, my class, we spent a lot of time talking about the doctrine of man. Connected very closely to the doctrine of man is the issue of identity. We studied how the world views identity today. And our world is very confused about identity. The postmodern worldview is eager to affirm it affirm and approve those who are biologically men, that they, they can be women, that they are women trapped inside a man's body. The world is not content with the identity that God has given them, but instead they suppress the truth. They rebel against God who, who created them to be able to Worship what their hearts desire. They want to be autonomous, self-ruling over their own bodies. They have divorced the mind from the body and and declared a war on their bodies. So their bodies must be manipulated and abused to conform to their minds. The unbelieving world as it looks at the idea of identity, the unbelieving world suppresses the truth that man has been created after the image of God. As the unbelieving world toys with this idea of identity, we who seek Christ, we who seek to serve Christ, must be very clear, must understand what our identity is. Those who serve Christ are a peculiar people. They have been called out of the darkness of their sins and brought into the glorious light of redemption in Christ. As such, they have a very distinct identity from the world. While much of the world finds its identity in what it does or or what it wants to be, 
Christians find their identity in who God says they are. They find their identity in who they are. They are sons and daughters of the living God. Such was Epaphroditus. When we consider that question about who Epaphroditus was, we don't have a, a biography about him. All we have really are these these five verses in Philippians to speak to the person of Epaphroditus. We do not even know where he was born. But we do know that he was born again. And something that tells us a lot about who Epaphroditus was. He shares an intimate connection with us in the 21st century because we share that that bond of faith with him. We both share the same Savior and the same understanding of the world. So we know that Epaphroditus was, was most likely a Gentile convert to Christianity, a fruit of one of Paul's missionary trips. And he is classified by Paul as my brother. This is a special term designated and reserved for one who has been brought into the family of God. Paul used to consider only fellow Jews as his brothers. It was those who who were of blood who were worthy to be called brother. All others would have been considered the uncircumcised Gentile dogs. That all changed on the road to Damascus, when Christ caught hold of Paul, when Christ worked in Paul, such that Paul saw his sinfulness, saw that he was kicking against the pricks. John says in John 1 verses 12 through 13 that as many as received Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Paul received Christ. And Christ gave Paul that glorious gift of having the right to be a child of God. And now Paul considers Epaphroditus his dear brother in the Lord. Epaphroditus was a brother not by blood, nor by the will of man, but he was a brother because of the Spirit's work. As you... Consider this idea of serving Christ. Are you cognizant of the fact that you are children of God? That you are brothers and sisters with other believers? That this is is foundational to your identity? Regardless of whether we take cognitive recognition that we are children of God, we as believers are children of God as we serve Christ. But what a joy such labor becomes when we remember and recall that we are children of God, that we are 
sons and daughters of our Lord. For to recognize that you are a child of God means that you have some notion of what you used to be. You used to be a slave to sin. Your master was the devil. You were of the father of the devil. And the only wage you were earning was death. Your understanding was darkened as you were alienated from the life of God. But Christ came and, and purchased redemption for you. He released you from the chains of sin and death. He opened the prison doors and set the bond captives free. He didn't just set you free from your slavery to sin. That would be amazing in and of itself. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. But as we read earlier in Romans 8, He also made you joint heirs with Himself. The Father adopted you as His children and now calls you to serve Him as His sons and daughters. We all know of cruel employers who treat their employees wickedly. They yell, they curse their employees, they ask unreasonable things of their employees. Yet a man will, will still serve such an employer for the paycheck he gets at the end of the day. Children, you are called to honor and obey your parents. And sometimes your, your parents can be overly harsh. They can sin against you. But you know they love you. You know they give you good things. And you know that God calls you to honor them, so you serve them. Perhaps some of you have never known a loving father and mother. Your father and mother abused you, were, were cruel to you. You have an estranged relationship with them. And no matter what your situation, know that this is not who your heavenly father is. Your heavenly father is perfect. He upholds you tenderly by his hands. He won't let a hair fall from your head apart from him decreeing that. And so what, what a joy, what a delight it is for us to serve such a perfect heavenly father who showers us with good gifts, who loves us, who is gracious to us. What an encouragement it is for us to serve Him as His sons and daughters. That brings us to the next way we are to serve Christ. We are called to serve Christ as laborers. We notice that Paul calls Epaphroditus his fellow laborer. He's not just a brother is also a fellow laborer. Paul, Paul gives this distinction here to, to specifically refer to those who labor in the gospel ministry. 
Epaphroditus was likely an ordained pastor, quite possibly the pastor at the church in Philippi. Others who are considered fellow laborers by Paul would be Priscilla and Aquila, Urbanus, Timothy, and Titus. There is a closeness that comes from working side by side with someone. This is all very familiar for anyone who's worked in the same field as someone. You all, you, you, as soon as you meet somebody who works in that same field, all of a sudden you have a, a commonality. You, you share something. You share an understanding about, about the way something works in the world. You share that same jargon and terminology. And similarly, there is a certain camaraderie that exists with gospel laborers. And such was the case with Paul and Epaphroditus. And yet, Clearly, not all of you are called. Not all of you are allowed to serve as official gospel laborers. You're not all called to be ordained to a particular church office. You're not all called to to be missionaries. So what do I mean when I say this passage calls you to serve Christ as a laborer? Well, let's take a, a closer look at how Epaphroditus served Paul and served the church at Philippi. The Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus along with some sort of gift to help Paul in his imprisonment. You'll recall that as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he's likely in Rome. He's imprisoned by the palace guard. He's awaiting uh, seeing Caesar. Epaphroditus was the Philippians' messenger to Paul. As verse 25 says, Epaphroditus was your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Epaphroditus brought Paul news of them. He informed them of the current situation in Philippi. He likely told the Philippians that there was some disunity. There was some turmoil and strife in the Philippian church. But Epaphroditus was also a gift for Paul himself. He ministered to some need that Paul had in in a service officially sanctioned by the Philippian church. So Epaphroditus brought news. He He was their messenger. Epaphroditus was a gift to Paul himself to help Paul with some personal need he had. But Paul also brought, I mean, Epaphroditus also brought some gift from the Philippian church. In Philippians 4, verse 17 through 18, Paul says that he's received this gift that Epaphroditus brought, and it was a a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Epaphroditus labored diligently for the church and for Paul. And He had done this very faithfully. He had ministered very faithfully to Paul. In fact, he had worked himself almost to death. He had fallen sick during his time of service to Paul. We do not know what this sickness was, except for the fact that Epaphroditus had almost died. However, we do know that it was for the work of Christ that he had almost died, that he had come close to death. In this, we see 
that Epaphroditus did not have regard for his life in wanting to serve Christ. And Epaphroditus not only became sick, but he was also in in that dangerous position of serving a religious prisoner, a religious prisoner of an empire that hated Christianity. Currently, Nero is the Roman Empire emperor at this time, and he is waging severe persecutions on the church for Epaphroditus to go and serve Paul at this time was an incredibly dangerous thing. And Epaphroditus is doing this. We notice a certain zealousness that he has for serving Christ. It was a zealousness that sought to serve Christ with the utmost faithfulness. So one way you serve Christ as a laborer is to serve is to labor with that same zealousness that Epaphroditus had. And I want to be clear here. Epaphroditus worked himself almost to the point of death. I am not advocating that we kill ourselves in service to God. God calls us in the sixth commandment to preserve life and that includes our own personal lives. We must take care of our bodies, which are gifts from God, not to be abused, but to be used in service. We must not work ourselves to death. Burnout is not a good or a right thing. But at the same time, we need to, to hear this call and see this zealousness that Epaphroditus had, this earnestness which he had for the gospel. Too many of us err on the other side of this zealousness. Too many of us are content to be lazy when it comes to the things of the Lord. We let family devotion slide. We let personal devotion slide. We can go days without praying to God. We can have more compassion for the things of this life than for the souls of others. We can spend our afternoons playing video games and watching TikTok videos. We can let time with the Lord fly away. But Epaphroditus, for the work of Christ, came close to death. He did not regard his life. We would call such a person today a fanatic. Epaphroditus had his eyes focused on eternity. He did not have them focused on this life. And if he did, it was on the brevity of this life. He, He understood how short Our lives on this earth are. Epaphroditus had his eyes fixed on what a wonderful thing, on what a beautiful thing it was to be considered a son of God, to be part of the household of faith. 
Epaphroditus valued what Christ had done in his life. He was thankful to be called a child of God. He knew what a prize this was. So to labor, to be a laborer of Christ is to serve with a certain zealousness and yet not with a sort of zeal that has no responsibility, not a zeal without knowledge, a zeal with knowledge, a zeal with responsibility. Epaphroditus had a responsibility to the church at Philippi. He had an ardent love for the congregation there. So to serve with zealousness means that we must be faithful in the callings that God has called us to. Paul sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi because Epaphroditus was longing for the Philippians. He had become distressed because he knew that the Philippians had heard that he was sick, that he was close to death. And so Epaphroditus wants to return to the Philippians to inform them that, that Christ had had mercy on him, that God had had mercy on him. Epaphroditus could have easily just sent a letter saying, yes, I'm better, stop worrying about me. But his love for the church at Philippi was so intense that he wanted to be there in person and tell them, yes, God has had mercy upon me. Rejoice with me, with our God. Epaphroditus, the zeal for the love of the church, he was faithful, his calling as a pastor, was faithful in his ministry. So we see that Epaphroditus' zeal, his zeal for Christ, the zeal bound by faithfulness to his calling. And faithfulness in the service of Christ takes many forms. It takes many forms in the life of a congregation. It means that, it means that faithfulness means that a husband will sacrificially lay down his life for his wife, such that after a long day at work, he'll come home that help her take care of the kids or do the dishes so that she can rest and, and, and maybe do her devotions, spend time in the Word of God. Faithfulness means that a, a wife will support and respect her husband's authority as he seeks to lead the family in accordance with God's Word. Faithfulness means that a, a father and a mother will train their children in the way of righteousness. Not simply spanking them when they do something wrong, but leading them, showing them what God calls them, showing them what it means to serve Christ, what it means to labor in obedience to Christ as a child. It means teaching them the joy of salvation, the joy of salvation in Christ. Living a life laboring for Christ has, has ramifications for the working world as well. It means being a, a light to your boss and your co-workers. 
means you will not take part in the lewd jokes and commentary that your co-workers have. means that you will be faithful to work diligently during your time at work, not slacking off, but working as unto the Lord. means you will seek to implement principles of a Christian world and life view into your work. We live in a world that seeks to to make a huge chasm between the sacred and the secular. There is no such chasm. Religion is not something that, that the Christian can keep in his home or in his private life. Remember, our identity is in Christ. Our identity as his sons and daughters of the great king. To ask a Christian to keep his religion to himself is like trying to stop a fire from giving off light. It's impossible. It would be like a former slave wanting to hide the fact that he is now free. We are servants of our king. With that comes the need to be faithful to our king. So let us serve Christ with with this zealous faithfulness in whatever station and calling God has called us to. The last way I want us to consider serving Christ today is by being soldiers. Paul calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. Epaphroditus was a soldier who entered the battle ready to die for the sake of the gospel. He was a man who sought to pour out his life as a drink offering to God. He paid no regard for his life. He could be compared to, to David's mighty men who risked their lives so that David could have a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. Epaphroditus knew the cost of serving Christ in this life. He counted the cost. The cost did not matter to him because he knew what high price that his salvation was. He knew that to be counted as a brother demanded the infinitely high price of Christ's death. On that cross. And so Epaphroditus sat his face like flint. Knowing that to be a disciple of Christ is not an easy life. It requires putting on the whole armor of God. Day in and day out. It requires a constant warfare that can be exhausting. It requires discipline. It's not a life that means you can slumber. That you can go to sleep for a little bit. It's a life that requires that you are constantly on guard, ready to go to battle, ready to be called to arms. It means you have to be a man like those during the days of Nehemiah who carried both a sword and a trowel so that they could build the wall, constantly on guard, ready for the attack of the enemy. There are those in Christian circles today who will tell you that to be a Christian is to walk on an easy and a comfortable road. 
Christian is not somebody who knows any tears. Somebody who's always happy and joyful. Last Sunday, some of that sort of thinking was challenged as we were encouraged to lament from Psalm 73. And Epaphroditus similarly reminds us that to be disciples of Christ is not an easy road. It means being a soldier. Christ, the Gospels, encouraged us to count the cost of being a disciple. In Luke 14, verses 25 through 30, Christ reminds us to count this great cost. There he said, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation, is not able to finish all who see a being to mock him, saying, This man began to build was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him, or with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Paphroditus was a soldier. He counted the cost. He was a man who knew that the Christian life requires warfare. This warfare was worth it for a prize. Many men would go to war, would be willing to sacrifice their life for some great cause. See that again and again throughout history. A man is willing to sacrifice his own life for freedom. Are you willing to sacrifice your life? Have you counted the cost of serving Christ? Are you serving Christ as a soldier? Do you strive to have the discipline of a soldier in your spiritual life? We talk about the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, of of reading and meditating upon the Word. We get discouraged sometimes in those disciplines. We can get into ruts where it feels like our prayers are just words. It feels like we don't get anything out of our daily Bible reading. We do not know the close communion with God that we used to. We do not ought not to let such experiences keep us from pursuing these disciplines. A soldier on the battlefield can never let his guard down. He cannot slumber while the enemy is attacking. He must press on. 
If you struggle with these spiritual disciplines, do not grow weary in doing well. Have the discipline of a soldier who is up every single morning, drilling and marching over and over and over again, going through the disciplines that are required so that he is safe on the battlefield, so that he can engage with the enemy. Like a soldier who drills day in and day out, keep on training yourself unto righteousness. Finally, sure that you put on the clothing of a soldier. Do not neglect the armor of light that God has graciously given you. Christ has not only redeemed you, has not only called you his children, but he has also equipped you with many weapons in the battle against sin. He has given you a perfect armor with which to serve him. So when you see your own sinfulness, be sure to implement that shield of faith. Do not let the devil's darts disquiet you and cause you to despair and discouragement. Remember that God has called you his own. You've been given that breastplate of righteousness. When you sin, do not neglect that breastplate by running to your own righteousness. Cling to that righteousness which is from Christ. Put on the armor of light and stand firm in the battle for we are led in that battle by the captain of our salvation. We read of in Joshua chapter 5 who goes forth with us into battle who has equipped us and defeated our enemies already. He has already defeated our greatest foes but we can go forth victoriously, knowing that in Him we have the victory. So, let us seek to serve Christ, following Timothy and Epaphroditus as they sought to imitate Christ. Let us serve Christ, knowing that we children of God, knowing that we are called to this hard work of labor, and knowing that we are soldiers. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you, giving you thanks for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, giving you praise that we are not our own, we belong to our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to serve you in this life. That we would set our hearts to work diligently in your kingdom. That we would serve you faithfully in whatever station and calling you have called us to. That we would serve faithfully as soldiers, going to war day in and day out that you might be praised, that in our lives we might raise the banner of your glory, 
encourage others to praise and honor your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Respond to the preaching of the word by turning in our psalm books to Psalm 144, the A selection. Psalm 144, the A selection. The psalm takes note of the fact that it is God who trains our hands for war. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for the fight, my steadfast love, my fort. Our strength in the battle comes from the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stand and sing Psalm 144, the A selection.